Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we have a very special guest on the podcast, Dr. Anne Helen Peterson. That's right. Dr. Anne Helen Peterson writes a whole lot of awesome stuff on so many websites. Where, when does she sleep? Um, focusing on star studies, celebrity culture, and especially celebrity scandals. Yeah, she received her PhD from the University of Texas at Austin in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film. And I'm explaining this because you might be thinking, how does one study celebrities? Well, this is how you do it. Uh, she also wrote a dissertation called The Gossip Industry, Producing and Distributing Star Images, Celebrity Gossip, and Entertainment News. And it's fascinating to mm-hmm. look into the history of Hollywood gossip. Yeah. It says so much about our society and about how, you know, we're, we're such a tabloid society today. And she is working on a book that will be published in May 2014 by Plume Penguin called The Scandals of Classic Hollywood based on her column for the hairpin by the same name. And so we decided that we got to talk to Dr. Peterson, Annie, about scandal. That's right. The show, the history, (laughs) the gendered aspects, of course. Yes. And some feminism. We have a lot to talk about. So let's get on with our scandalous conversation with Anne Helen Peterson. The title of your blog is Celebrity Gossip Academic Style. And for listeners who aren't familiar with your work, can you fill us in a little bit about how you've built your career around the intersection of celebrity and academia? Yeah. So celebrity studies is something that, you know, I have by no means invented. Uh, it's been, there's something called star studies, which is a subfield of media film studies um, that's really been around since the late 70s and 80s. There's this scholar named Richard Dyer who wrote this book called Stars that like when I first read it, it was like, you know, one of those aha moments really saying that you can look at a star and read it, a star's image, the way that you would read any other media text. So think about what they're suggesting in terms of like gender and sexuality and all sorts of things about living in the world. Um, and the reason my blog is called celebrity gossip academic style, uh, you know, I wanted it to be very, very clear about precisely what I was doing, which was focusing on celebrity gossip, which everyone, or not everyone, lots of people really enjoy, but then also um, making it clear that I would be looking at it, not from a critical angle, but from an introspective and analytical angle. And so I think that the reason so many people like my blog is because they wanted to think deeper thoughts about this gossip that they're consuming. And I provide kind of a roadmap about how to do that. Um, Now, this is probably a question that you've been asked a lot, or maybe not. Um, What is the academic value of studying and analyzing celebrity scandal and gossip? Because I have a feeling that you've you've probably encountered some people who are like, "Ah, celebrity gossip, that's not worth studying. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that... I mean, all, whatever we consume, right, whether it's television or books or magazines or comic books, like whatever media we consume is shaping us in all sorts of ways. And I think that like most people would agree to that, that like, you know, this is no like whether it's what we call trash or if it's high quality, doesn't matter. 
Like, these are things that give us pleasure, so why don't we think about why we are consuming the things that we're thinking, that we're consuming? Um, and, I mean, that's really a turn, actually, though, in, in media studies. It's only happened in the last, say, like, 30 years, is instead of decrying all of this pop culture stuff as trash and saying, like, oh, this is just numbing the masses, instead thinking about how individuals take pleasure from them, but also looking at them more closely and thinking about the messages that they propagate. So, like, celebrity, I mean, every single celebrity, I could tell you what they're doing in terms of, like, how they're suggesting a certain um, sexuality or gender performance or uh, a way of being romantic or a scenario that is in some way palatable. Like, the the thing that I always get is people, like, when, they, when I say I study celebrity, they almost always say something like, I don't understand why so-and-so is a celebrity. And 10 years ago, that was always Paris Hilton, and now it's Kim Kardashian. And what I love to do there, and this is a, this is a, I didn't come up with this. My friend Alice Leppard came up with this. But to say, okay, so look at Kim Kardashian's family. She has, like, this dundering dad. She has, like, she's the older sister who's a prize but isn't really that interesting. She has a younger sister who is really interesting but not as traditionally beautiful she has a gaggle of younger siblings who the mom is all concerned with getting married off. And she has a mom who is trying to salvage a once robust family. And that scenario, if you think about it, is, I mean, it's pride and prejudice. Mm-hmm. And so to think about why, you know, it's not that Kim Kardashian herself is so compelling. I mean, there's all these other things that make her interesting, but how she is acting out a scenario that has, oh, that has been compelling to us for, you know, hundreds of years. Okay, so that's that's a really interesting statement. I never thought about celebrity worship or following celebrities that way. Um, what I'm interested in what appeals to you personally and, and how you ended up in this field, but what appeals to you personally about following celebrities' lives? Um, so there's this uh, scholar, his name, his name is Joshua Gamson, and he came up with, he did this huge study of gossip consumers, and he came up with, five different ways that people consume gossip. And there are very different things from people who read the magazines and believe every single thing that they read to people who read them as pure camp, right? It's just total artifice. And the one, though, that really is so compelling to me and really I identify with is called the game player, which is someone who looks at gossip as a puzzle. So trying to figure out, okay, why did their publicist say this? Like, what are they doing by appearing at this event? Like, why, after there's rumors that Ben Affleck has been cheating on Jennifer Garner, does paparazzi conveniently appear and take pictures of her children in the park? Um, so thinking about it as this puzzle that like every every celebrity is trying to put together this image. So I am much more interested in the production side and thinking that through. So growing up, though, were, did you follow celebrity gossip? Were you always kind of a, the trying to figure out that puzzle, too, at a young age? Oh, no. I was much more interested in just, like, entertainment broadly. I lived in a really small town in northern Idaho, so there wasn't all... Like, my, my exposure to the media world was through the magazines that came to my house, and we got Entertainment Weekly from the very beginning. And as, like, a 12-year-old child, I was devouring every single uh, issue. Like, I would... <laughs> this is so embarrassing, but I would put it together in, like a database that I had on my Apple IIe and put, like, the different things cataloging it, and then I would grade the issue, like, 
if the issue was like a B plus. <laughs> and I like I just I read it cover to cover, even though all of this industry information, like you know, this was when Entertainment Weekly was much more industrially focused. So like. There's all this stuff on Sundance and Harvey Weinstein and Sex Lies Videotape. And um, I knew all everything about those movies, but I you know, never seen them. And I wouldn't see them for another 10 years. And so I think that that focus on production and on kind of the game playing behind the scenes really translates well into my focus on celebrity gossip. So you're currently writing a book about the, quote, scandals of classic Hollywood. And um, quick plug for any listeners who have not seen your series by the same name on the hairpin, it is fantastic. Um, so could you talk a little bit about these old school scandals? Like how do old Hollywood scandals compare to the sex scandals we hear about today? I mean, are we, are we still the public still being shocked by the same type of star behavior? Well, scandal generally is always culturally specific. So what I mean by that is that you something only becomes scandalous when it ruptures the status quo at that time. So Ingrid Bergman in 1950 uh, cheated on her husband with Roberto Rossellini, who was her director, who's an Italian neo-realist director. And now, you know, if someone cheats on their husband, it's, you know, it's slightly scandalous. But Ingrid Bergman was denounced on the Senate floor as an instrument of evil and essentially ended her American career. You know, that sort of backlash would not happen today. So what it was is that she was challenging what was very firmly part of the status quo at that time. So, you know, things today, like even coming out as as gay, right? Like Brock Hudson refused even after it was revealed that he had AIDS to come out as homosexual. And now, I mean... I think that there's there's a reason why Tom Cruise like refuses or not just I'm not suggesting that Tom Cruise is gay. I am suggesting that he has won lawsuits against people who have suggested that he is gay by claiming that heterosexuality is crucial to his image. And so that, like it's not necessarily I don't want to say that it's super super easy to be out in Hollywood today, but it, there's it's not what we would think of as scandalous. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the difference is that um, so early Hollywood, like early 20s, before they had the stars kind of like on lockdown, there were a series of events that emphasized that the like things were a little bit crazier. <laughs> so um, there was a lot of drinking and drug use and more sexual experimentation, basically sex out of wedlock, than what we would, what the rest of America wanted to believe of their film idols. And so the MPAA, which is the, the Association of Studios, decided, okay, let's lock it down. And for the rest of the 20s and 30s and 40s, essentially, there was just, you know, absolutely the only thing that came out about the stars were the things that the studios wanted to say about the stars. So until Robert Mitchum got caught smoking pot in 1947, maybe 48, there wasn't a scandal. Like, it was just... Hollywood was perfect. And even things that happened like Clark Gable clearly like not living with his wife and living right next door to Carol Lombard, you know, there was a way that the studios collaborated with the fan magazines and the rest of the gossip apparatus to be like, they're just dating (laughs) and they like, they are meant for each other and kind of keep that on the down low. So, I mean, I think that now 
it's harder for stars to keep their images in control simply because there are so many different uh, outlets, both sanctioned and unsanctioned, that are attempting to tell their story and attempting to get to the, the truth of their images. But otherwise, I mean, stars have always been wild. Like, that hasn't changed. <laughs> Yeah, because it sounds like, I mean, a lot of the the things that we would read about in, say, Star Magazine today, like someone cheating on someone else or someone doing drugs at a club, like those kinds of behaviors aren't anything new, but maybe it's just the level of exposure that we're actually now just like seeing it and hearing about it. Yeah. And I actually think that that dulls it, right? That like so someone cheating just because we see it so often. Although the thing, I mean, I would say that we still think we still want to find out the truth of someone's sexuality. Like that is still at bottom, the the site of authentic truth. So whether that, and I'm not saying just like heterosexuality or homosexuality, it's also like, is this person like, is a woman super sexual or like, is there any other predilections in bed? Like that is somehow we really, if we can find that out, it seems like you can somehow understand the true identity of the person. Right. And that whole gender divide is something that we were really interested in, particularly um, in your dissertation, where you talk about how early Hollywood scandal in the 20s in particular was especially damning for female stars. And why do you think why were studios so anxious about these women's images and how did they try to keep their female stars so squeaky clean? I mean, I think in the teens and 20s, there was already this anxiety about the new woman and the flapper and, like, the woman being out of the home and just, like, all sorts of disruption in terms of traditional female gender roles. And a lot of the stars acted that out. So someone like Clara Bow was on screen, like, she was just, she was the perfect, they called her, like, the flapper par excellence. But then off screen, when she did similar behaviors, that somehow was deemed scandalous. So they tried to, um, they really tried to suggest that like, oh, this person is only acting this way on screen and not that way off screen. So when it became clear that like Clara Bow was having lots of boyfriends and like going, like she loved hanging out with the USC football team and that sort of thing, that that uh, caused more societal anxiety. But I think throughout Hollywood, women have always had a harder time of trying to keep their images simultaneously sexual on screen and non-sexual off screen. Yeah, I was going to ask whether or not you thought that Hollywood scandals are still, even today, more potentially damaging for female stars versus male stars. I feel like especially in terms of fidelity like if we find out that the whole thing with uh you know the build-up to the vanity fair piece that never happened about gwyneth paltrow everyone wants to hear that she's cheating on chris martin and it's just like this weird like we're just like salivating for her to do something wrong yeah totally no i and i think like trying to think of another example so someone like claire danes who was the other woman with Billy Crudup and Mary Louise Parker, she didn't work in Hollywood for several years after that because, like, both of their names were kind of smeared. Um, yeah, I think that it's just, like, still as supposedly progressive as we are now about women's sexuality, which, you know, if you've watched politics over the last five years, clearly we're not. There still is this idea that a woman should, like, look like they really want to have sex on the cover of GQ, but then not actually have any sex. <laughs> well, what does it what does it say about us 
and about our cultural relationship with sex that we are so and we have always been so wrapped up in celebrity sex scandals. Um, I would say like anything that there is this anxiety about that there people like freak out about shows that it's something that we as a culture are still trying to figure out how we feel about it. And so that continual anxiety about women's sexuality shows that like this is still something very much um, in play and that uh, while there are different things that seem progressive about women's rights, we still are hung up on the idea that a woman should uh, should at heart be like only want to have sex with one man and that man is her husband. <laughs> it's a very like Puritan ideal of, of female sexuality. Well, we certainly have more questions for Anne, Annie, Dr. Peterson. So many, so many different names by which to call you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. Just out of curiosity, um, in your research, have you noticed whether or not this is more of uh, an American or Western centric kind of culture of the, the obsession with a sex scandal? Or is this something that you're going to see in tabloid culture around the world? Um, I would say that it's the obsession with sexual revelations. Like, that's definitely the case. There's been a huge scandal recently in China about um, some Chinese stars and sexual revelations, female ones. And But in Europe, I think it works somewhat differently. Um, like, I think that when Ingrid Bergman left uh United States after there was this huge hoopla, and she went and worked in Italy for the next 50 years, and... You know, this even though Europe at that time, you know, post World War II, it wasn't the super progressive Europe that we think of today. There still is just more. I think there's um, a larger understanding that somehow someone's sex life is their private life, right? And even the fact, like, if you look at France, like, yes, they're always going to cover the president's um, sexual lives and the fact that they have mistresses and that sort of thing. But even the fact that they have a mistress, right? that makes it okay. like the fact that the president of France can have a, a mistress somehow makes that at least speakable, like different arrangements speakable in France. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I wonder though, is that, is that more progressive? The fact that it's like fine for the him to have a mistress, you know what I mean? I would say that it's less slut shaming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't think that like, allowing a man to have many sexual partners is necessarily progressive, but instead of making the woman kind of bear the brunt of these, these sexual scandals, it makes, uh, it makes it more of a conversation about what, like the whole thing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of scandal and politicians, this is the perfect time to transition to um, what is honestly my TV guilty pleasure that I rarely tell anyone that I watch. Uh, and that's Scandal. And it's a show that you write about a the lot. The entire universe watches that show. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why I'm so conflicted about my, my Scandal habit, but I definitely have one. Um, but you wrote on your blog that it's, quote, a show that's doing some of the most interesting network uh, work in storytelling, female desire, post-feminism, race, 
and the intersections between all of the above, which, first of all, makes me feel a lot better about my scandal habit. <laughs> no, but there's so many things going on on that show. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, in, the, in the fictional realm of scandal and that show, sort of what you mean by all of those intersections going on? Yeah. Well, I actually think so. The first season of Scandal, they did a lot more in terms of solving like a single scandal each episode. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. Much more episodic in terms of like, okay, so here's a politician who in a, is is gay, right? And how do we deal with the fact that there is uh, clear proof and like a newspaper is threatening to reveal it? So how does Olivia Pope and the rest of the team fix a scandal? And that to me, I mean, that is super, super fascinating. This idea of like fixers out there who, you know, it's the same as George Clooney's role in Michael Clayton. And they had tons of fixers in classic Hollywood who, like, anytime Star got wasted and drove home drunk and ran into a, a telephone pole, that sort of thing, would go in there and fix the situation. And, I mean, that's just so much harder now because because there's paparazzi falling and stars everywhere. But that sort of kind of defense, playing defense against things that could come out and change the image of a star, I think that that uh, showing the kind of the, the innards of that production of that, that process makes people think more about how these things work. I mean, it's fictionalized, but at the same time, just showing that there are five people who are, who are doing all of these things to make sure that the release of a piece of information goes smoothly. And then, I mean, I think that the show, I mean, the show really got its wheels when it started just focusing on the relationship between Olivia and Fitz. But at the same time, that's when it lost some of the more interesting uh, focuses, like the more interesting emphasis on what was going on with fixing the scandals that didn't have anything to do with actually Olivia. Right. I was actually sick earlier this week, so I caught up on all my scandal. <laughs> so I've kind of been thinking about it and not to, to, you know, to give spoilers or anything to people listening who might not be caught up. But the the intense focus on her relationship with Fitz, I feel like almost undercuts the feminism of Olivia Pope's role, which is frustrating. Yes, because her identity really becomes subsumed in this romance when otherwise it's clear that she is like this ball busting, take no prisoners woman. Right. And who has in the past, it's not that she's not a sexual person, right? She's had relationships and she's had sexual encounters with people who aren't fits. And, but she just becomes so passive and weak when it comes to like his power over her. I think like the, the, the identity of a female showrunner and a female showrunner of color is really, I mean, I like, like, it's important to have people like Shonda Rhimes working in the industry, but then also how discussions of race, like, it wasn't really until the end of season two that there was any invocation that the real scandal, if it came out that the president was having an affair with one of his former staffers, wouldn't be that. It would be that, like, he was white and she was black. Like, that would amplify that scandal so much more and they just because the show really trucks in kind of a post-race colorblind world the fact that it took that long to be invoked and that it hasn't really been brought up again i don't uh, i don't know how progressive that is either unfortunately scandal can't be everything for us as we might want it to be 
Um, well, outside of fictionalized television, how do you think celebrity scandal intersects with feminism, particularly sort of in this gossip era we find ourselves in where so many of our feminist-leaning blogs do discuss scandal? Yeah. Well, you know, I wrote this article for Bitch Magazine that's called Can Celebrity Gossip Ever Be Feminist? And my thesis is basically that if you practice academic celebrity gossip, then yes. Because if you're looking, instead of looking at someone who you think, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. The example I use is that when Blake Lively started dating Leonardo DiCaprio, this is several years ago, I was like, ugh. I can't believe it. Like I was just really angry at Blake Lively. And so instead of like, you know, slut shaming her or making fun of the fact that she has no talent, I sat there and I thought for a second, okay, why am I reacting this way to her dating Leonardo DiCaprio? And it had everything to do with how Leonardo DiCaprio resonates with me as someone who fell in love with him in Romeo and Juliet when I was 15 years old. Right. And how I, the sort of relationship that I want him to be in and the sort of woman that I think deserves him, that sort of thing, right? Obviously, I don't know any, I mean, he has clearly betrayed me on that (laughs) (laughs) over and over and over again. But in just basically doing a little bit of analysis of my relationship to his star image, I could see why I was reacting in a negative way to to another female, so, like, I think the, the blogs that do a lot of just, like, body snarking and that sort of thing, I, I mean, it's not feminist. Like, there's no way to, there's no way to talk about that um, with, like, there's no way to, so what I'm looking for, defend that. But I do think that something, like, on a lot of feminist sites, what they're talking through is basically what I do. So what about that star is interesting? What, like, why... So, like, when Amy Poehler and um, Will Arnett broke up last year, like, why is there such a a heartfelt reaction to that? So instead of just, like, I mean, I think that oftentimes gossip is denigrated as just a bunch of women, like, screaming in a corner or something like that. But I think that there's real uh, thoughtful work going on about why we love the people we love and why we dislike the people we dislike. Yeah, and and that very point of... Gossip, celebrity gossip often being pegged as just this frivolous woman thing as any kind of like female fandom in a way often is like taken down a notch as just being like too girly and who cares. Um, I appreciate the, you know, the taking the time to actually pause and look into it and analyze it. Um, I was actually reading last night, uh, the, your, uh, hairpin scandals of old Hollywood piece on Hedy Lamar, who up until I read that, I had just thought of her as this, you know, STEM heroine who was a really beautiful woman of old Hollywood who then invented this thing that basically gave us Wi-Fi now. And lo and behold, there's this tragic backstory and it was all sort of like tied up in sexuality and gender and how we perceive we as the public perceive and consume women's bodies. And um, I don't know, it was like it was it was very enlightening and i feel like that's we could use more of that i think in celebrity gossip yeah well and the other thing is that talking about sports players is celebrity gossip you know like like sports talk is celebrity gossip it's just masculinized and so i really try to emphasize the fact that you know 
this is not something that only women do. It's not something that is exclusive to celebrities. It's just a type of talk about prominent figures. Well, tying everything back to the book that you're working on, um, do you have a favorite classic Hollywood scandal? I mean, <laughs> I really like the Robert Mitchum scandal because it sh- because it was the first scandal to kind of rupture what had been going on, the cover-ups that had been going on in classic Hollywood. He was on, this is again 1948, he was half on contract. So he had like a contract with um, a studio, but then also kind of was just doing his own thing. And so what that ha- made it possible is that he at first was like, when he got caught, was like, screw it. I'm going to jail. My career is over. Like, very frank about it. Um, and then the, the studio people got to him and he was like, okay, all right. I'll try to like basically make good. So while he was in jail, he allowed photographers from Life Magazine to come in and take pictures of him. So there's all these great photos of him like sweeping his cell in jail. And then like, he gets out and here, Robert Mitchum is like this, like, he, he just looks like a dastardly dude. And, uh, you know, he's just like these eyes and scars and stuff. But then he sits for these interviews with like Photoplay and other fan magazines where he's like, I just want to go fishing with my sons. And like, my wife has been so supportive. And it was made very clear in the, the five, six years afterwards that that was all how much of a farce that was. But at the time, it's just so performative what was going on with Scandal. But, I mean, for me, I like all of them. I think some people are like, oh, why do you write a Scandals of Classic Hollywood about Robert Redford? There was no scandal there. I was like, I mean, sure. Every star, though, has a way that they had to make their image into something that wasn't scandalous. So, any like, I could write a column on any star and make it interesting. I mean, is it even possible, though, these days with as much, like, exposure as stars get to to closely control their image to the degree that they might want. I mean, is scandal avoidable unless you are like legit, you know, just on the up and up, always doing everything that you should. I think, I mean, Angelina Jolie should have had at least 50 scandals in the last 10 years. And she has so deftly played that game that I like, I'm just in awe of her. Um, She's like the, you know, the one that I don't have um, enough distance from. I'm just like, Oh, you play that so well. Amazing. So everything from the way that they uh, managed the revelation of her relationship with Brad Pitt to uh, the adoption and then giving birth to all of these children, the fact that they're still not married. Um, and then recently with basically, you know, with her double mastectomy, she, that could have been, the discussion could have been about now she is no longer a sex icon, right? Like she is, her breasts were so fundamental to her sexuality but the way that she got in front of the story and wrote this New York Times editorial, like, she made the story about her sacrifice and her trying to be a model for other women so deftly. And now, like, if you talk about the loss of her breasts as, like, any in any sort of denigrating tone, you're a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And the way that she played that made that possible. So, yes, I do think that it's possible to play the game. Also, I mean, if you don't live in Hollywood or New York, it's super possible. Like, Julia Roberts, I think, just got fed up with everything and moved to Taos, New Mexico, and she has so much control over her image. 
Um, well, so when, when is the book coming out? When can people go pick it up? It's coming out at the end of September and it's from Plume Books, which is an imprint of Penguin. And there's also, there's a pre-order right now on Amazon. So if you really want to get in line, um, but I'll be, I'll be writing various things in the, in the midterm, but I'm really excited for it. Yeah. How would you, for, um, for listeners, how would you describe the book? What could they expect from, from this? So it, it's all new content. So there are a couple people featured in it who I wrote previous scandals of classic Hollywood about. So someone like Montgomery Clift or Dorothy Dandridge, but it's much more expanded and contextualized for those people. And then there's a ton of people that I've never written anything about on scandals of classic Hollywood. And it starts with Mary Pickford and Douglas Fairbanks, which is the uh, Hollywood's first couple who divorce both of their spouses so they could be together and how they managed to not make that scandalous is just a fascinating story. And it goes all the way through James Dean. Uh, and it, I think there are 16 different stars um, that I cover and each chapter is its own star, but you know, they're, they're coupled with other stars who were dealing with similar things. So like um, James Dean, Mar- Marlon Brando, and Montgomery Clift are, are all of one part because they were all dealing with how to be these kind of emotive, masculine, but new type of masculine stars in Hollywood in the, in the early 50s. Well, speaking about uh, creating new content for your book, something that kind of blew me away in looking over your writing is that you do you sleep like you write so you write so much. How do you have time to do all this? Uh, well, I mean, the thing that is always important to make visible is that I don't have children. So I think that a lot of that, um, that pro, how much I write is due to the fact that like, I don't have other obligations outside of, um, being a writer and being a teacher. But I, you know, what I always say is that writing is a muscle and the more that you use it, the more in shape that it is. So when I'm in good writing shape, like I can sit down and, and just write like all afternoon. Um, and then also I really like writing different in different tones and for different audiences. So it's really uh, productive for me to, instead of just always writing my book or always writing my, a blog post or always writing an academic thing to switch it up and, and keep nimble in that way. Well, Annie, I hope this isn't a weird compliment, but if writing is a muscle, you totally have a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best compliment I've ever received. <laughs> well, in the meantime, uh, where can folks go to find more about you and all of your fantastic writing and insights into celebrity gossip and more? They can Google my blog, Celebrity Gossip Academic Style, but also I'm on Twitter and my handle is Anne Helen, so A-N-N-E-H-E-L-E-N. And that's basically where you can find all sorts of things about me. So thanks again so much to Anne Helen Peterson for taking the time to talk to us. Also, a congratulations to Anne, Annie, as she also refers to herself, because she is now heading out of academia and is going to become a full-time features writer for BuzzFeed. So definitely keep an eye out for her articles. I'm sure they will be amazing, as is all of her writing. Uh, you can follow her at Anne Helen. That's Anne with an E. And check out her work at AnnHelenPeterson.com. And Caroline, you gonna you gonna watch some scandal? You gonna watch scandal with me? Uh, nope. Ah, yeah, Sorry, no. I just not uh, can't not, do it. Not my thing. 
I will have to continue watching it in uh, guilty isolation. <laughs> Don't be guilty. Enjoy it. Yeah, you I do. enjoy it. I do. <laughs> Honestly, I tend to watch it in the background while I meticulously uh, stock my dishwasher. It's kind of my weekend thing. <laughs> so with that, we want to hear from you. What do you think about celebrity gossip scandal? Is anybody out there watching Scandal as well? Please uh, help me not feel quite so guilty. Momstuffatdiscovery.com is where you can email us. And we've got a couple of emails to share with you right now. Well, I've got a note here from Christopher about our revenge porn episode from a little while back. And he said, hey, guys, I just wanted to send a quick note. I don't know anyone personally who this has happened to, this being revenge porn, but I've heard of reports of certain hackers slash stalkers who have used software to essentially override a user's computer camera to take discrete photos of the user without their knowledge. This is actually one of the key reasons that the MacBook and iMac cameras won't operate unless that green light next to it goes on. Unfortunately, this wasn't incorporated into the iPhone or iPad. I'm not doing a value judgment for people who choose to take these photos to each their own. I'm just saying it's possible to essentially have your life ruined by one of these sites without even confiding in a date or a lover. So good to be aware of that, too. Creepy. Yes, so creepy. So very creepy. So thanks, Christopher, for giving us a heads up on that. I have a hilariously subject-lined email here from Kathleen about our Women in Cars episode. The subject line, by the way, is, I am the Caroline of my relationship, to which I say, I know, right? Me too. Uh, she says, I just listened to your Men in Cars episode and was struck by some strange similarities between Caroline and myself. Like Caroline, I am the driver in my heterosexual relationship. My partner prefers to navigate, which is helpful as I have no sense of direction. I am also emphatically not the dishwasher. The coincidence does not stop there, however, as I, too, drove Jeeps before recently switching to a smaller sedan. And I, too, was recently diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which your podcast definitely helped me understand as well as explain to others. When close friends were confused by the vague symptoms I tried to explain, I sent them the link to your podcast. Just thought these coincidences were too funny not to relay to you both. So thank you, Kathleen. I feel like we're like, you're like Bizarro Elaine to me or something. That's I mean, funny. Is, is Kathleen just your, your pen name that I, you're I, emailing I, into? I wrote you this email, Kristen, because okay. I just wanted to talk about myself some more. All right, Kathleen. <laughs> so thank you for your letter, Kathleen. And anyone else who wants to send us letters, momstuff at discovery.com is where you can send them. Or if you want to reach out to us on social, also check out all of our podcast blogs and videos. There's one place to go. It's StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 